are continuing our series on, uh, inspired by, I should say, the book by John Ortberg called The Me I Want to Be. And we have copies of these available to purchase today. Um, we're selling them for $14, which was our cost on these things. So uh, there's like 10 copies back there. If we sell out of those, we'll get more here. Um, and I just talked to somebody this morning. She's a little upset because she paid $20. So you're getting a deal. So uh, <laughs> so if you'd like to pick up one of those, uh, you can just make a check out to the church. If you can't afford the cost, we don't want to keep you from being able to pick up one of these. So if you can't afford the cost, uh, pick one up and we will uh, cover it for you. Um, or somebody else might cover it up for you. So anyways, want to just make those available to you and they're on the back sh- uh, table back there. We've been talking for the last few weeks about the me I want to be, and uh, we've been talking about the we fit, right? Or at least I have. And how the me I want to be, the me I am on the we fit is different than the me I want to be. And the weird thing is the me in my brain, the me in my mind is different than all those others combined. Um, did you have you Have you come across this that there are... Things of you, you will never be able to see uh, without the aid of a mirror or a photo. (laughs) And there are times where you see a photo of yourself and you're like, that doesn't look like me. Or you see a movie of yourself, a video with all the videos that people are able to make now. And you go, that doesn't look like me. And it's not who you thought you look like. Um, And it's just kind of strange. But everybody else is like, well, of course that's you. That that looks like you. Really? That looks like me? And we have this idea of how we think we look in our brain and who we really are and what we really look like. And there's just all these blind spots in us, aren't there? And it is so hard to see some of these things in us, some of the truth about us. It is so difficult to see. Um, So last week we talked about... uh, How we become the me we want to be. And that's done through surrender. And the question that I kind of kept putting out in front of us is who's driving? Who's driving your car, your life? Have you surrendered the wheel to Jesus? And I even said that some of us don't have Jesus in the car. (laughs) That we are the one driving and Jesus isn't even a passenger. And some of us need to even allow Jesus into the car. And I said, some of us have divided, uh, a divided heart, a divided uh, responsibility in the car where Jesus is the passenger and he is barking out orders and we're the driver and we're not listening. It's kind of like not following the advice from a GPS unit and you decide you know better. And, uh, and uh, have you noticed that Jeep, never mind. So uh, <laughs> the interesting thing, GPS has always seemed to have like a British accent because they sound so much more intelligent than us or something. So, uh, but then the first week we talked about this gap between the me we are and the me we want to be. And so we're dealing with that gap kind of every week. And one of the key ideas in becoming who we want to be, who Jesus wants us to be is this idea of renewing our minds everywhere in scripture. You, you see, That the Bible talks about how we think and what we think about and what we meditate on. And it talks regularly about changing that rather than changing behavior. 
Now, it does talk about changing behavior, but the scriptures understand that you have to change somebody's attitude, somebody's mindset before their behaviors will change. Uh, We know this to be true because uh, if you've had children, there are times where they've gotten into a little tussle with a brother or sister or neighborhood kid and you've told them, say you're sorry. And the kid goes, sorry. And you know that they're not really sorry. You as a parent force them to do a behavior to say, I'm sorry, to apologize. But their attitude wasn't changed at all. I'm still right. (laughs) If I had a chance and you weren't here, I'd bust the kid in the chops once again. They're not really sorry. And so we all know that this is true, that right behavior flows from right attitude, right belief. Right behavior flows from right belief. But oftentimes we get the two messed up. Now, this isn't always the true. This is generally true. Okay. There are times where going through the motions and doing the right thing that we know we ought to do finally leads us to right beliefs. If you've been married any amount of time, you know this principle as well to work that there are times where you just have to suck it up and bow up, so to speak, and do the right thing. And eventually the right beliefs come into play. So it can go both ways, but the scriptures regularly talk about changing our beliefs and leading to right action. In fact, Jesus talks about our heart out of our heart, come our actions, come the words that we speak. And so how do we change or renew our heart as the scriptures call it, or our mind as our, as us Westerners call it, how do we renew our mind? Well, there's a couple of scriptures that I want us to take a look at, but before we dive into the scriptures, uh, let's pause for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. There's an interesting thing that I've noticed in my life, and I'm sure you've noticed it in yours, but whatever you think about, whatever you dwell on, whatever you meditate upon influences your day. Has anybody ever noticed this? So if I'm thinking about negative thoughts. A friend of mine called it stinking thinking. If I'm experiencing stinking thinking, usually my day stinks, right? Uh, We've seen this with friends of ours. and, And often this is one of those blind spots. It's easier to see in others than it is to see in ourselves. Because in our brain, we're always justified in our stinking thinking. Well, you don't understand. They're kind of a jerk. You don't understand. If you were married to that person, you'd have to... Well, you don't understand. If it was your kid, you would be... I mean, we have this whole blind spot. In fact, psychologists have a fancy name for it. And when you go to Walmart and you watch somebody else discipline their child and they get a little stern and a little harsh and maybe even spank the child, we think, oh, they're a bad parent. They are an evil person. But if it's us... In their shoes, the reason is totally different. It's because our kid was acting up. It's because we had a bad day and I just don't have any, any uh, patience today. We give ourselves a whole lot more latitude, a whole lot more grace than we often give 
others. And it's this whole blind spot in our lives that we have. And so we need, as followers of Jesus, to be really open and honest about who we truly are. We need to be open and honest about what we are allowing into our minds. We need to be open and honest about what we are allowing into our hearts and to shape us. Uh, Has anybody ever heard the phrase, garbage in, garbage out? Do you believe that phrase? This is the interactive part of the sermon. Anybody believe that phrase? Okay. But have you ever, I don't know, in the last seven days, let some garbage in? Why? I mean, if it's true that garbage in equals garbage out, why would we allow garbage in? Now, part of our dilemma is that we all have these idiot lights in our home called a television, right? And we all know that some stuff on TV is garbage. And we all know that some media that we expose ourselves intentionally because never does the TV just magically turn on and grab us and cuff us to the couch and go, you are going to watch this tonight. And Okay. I mean, it's a choice. We choose to watch some of the things we choose to watch. We choose to read some of the things we choose to read. We choose to participate in some of the things we choose to participate in their garbage. Nobody's forcing us. There's an interesting scripture where Paul uh, talks about how we should think and what we should think about. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. In fact, when I was in high school and in college, we had a little... We verbalized. We made this a verb, an action. We said, Philippians 4, 8 it. <laughs> Philippians 4, 8 it. Because there were times where one of us would be participating in stinking thinking. And we realized, hey, I see this in you that you don't see it. So you need a Philippians 4, 8 it. And here's Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters. The who is that? Everybody. Whatever. What is that? Everything. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What word is in there several times? Whatever. That's a surprising word because we would think the answer is Jesus. Right? We would think the answer is the Bible. We would think the answer, uh, no, it's whatever. Do you feel the freedom in the word whatever? So here's the amazing thing astronomy, which I love, is one of the whatevers. So when I get my telescope out and I go out and I look at the stars and I look at planets and I get out there and I enjoy myself and it's causing me to think lofty, high, wonderful thoughts, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble. Some of you are musicians. And so when you listen to a piece of music and you think, oh, just love this. It just lifts my spirit. It just makes my being feel lighter just moves me. And it's a piece of music that is pure and true and noble. It's part of the whatever. 
Some of you are artists. And so going outside and painting or, or taking photographs and, and this lifts your soul. And it's a place where you experience God's beauty and being. It's part of the whatever. Some of you are moms. And there are times where your little people give you such great joy deep down inside that you just want to go and talk about it with other people. Little Johnny took a step today. You'll never believe what they said. It was just amazing what they shared with me. That's part of the whatever because you delight in your children. Some of the men are wired to work hard and to earn a living and to provide for their family. And in doing that, they feel great satisfaction. It's part of their whatever. It lifts them up and it causes them to think good things. Whatever. Whatever is noble. You like fiction? The classics of American literature? Whatever. Are there movies that stir you? We watched a movie last night, The Dream Girls. Anybody seen that one? And yeah, sure, there's questionable parts in most movies. But it moved me to tears at the end because it's a powerful story of how messy lives can be and how at the end things can work together for good. Lots of movies, we can see a picture of redemption. We can see a picture of love. We can see a picture of sacrifice it's part of the whatever. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Think about these things, says the Apostle Paul. Now, this is actually a message on the Bible. <laughs> because those things that you're thinking about can be both good, but they can also sometimes be not so good. And when we think about all of life and all of the whatevers that we can think about and all the things that we can take into us, the best thing is the scriptures. One of the best things that we can take into our being, that we can read, that we can start memorizing, that we can start interacting with is the scriptures. Now, let's be super honest, shall we? The Bible's boring, right? Oh, he said that in church and he's a pastor. I'm reading the scriptures through this year. And uh, I uh, regularly I try to share scriptures on Facebook and social network stuff. And I just, you know, here's a scripture that I read this morning that I thought was very interesting. And uh, I'm getting to that part of the Old Testament that gets really boring. I mean, there's not a lot of stuff to quote. You know, like don't. Don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. I almost shared that on Facebook just to see what people would say. <laughs> Dude, is this like a recipe? What's the deal? I mean, there's just some weird, boring stuff in the Bible. In fact, they've studied Americans and they've found that the average American household has nine Bibles. And yet we spend very little time reading our Bibles. In fact, it's really weird because at this point in time in human history, we have more access to the scriptures than any person has ever had in all of history. We have more access to the scriptures than Jesus himself had. 
to read. We have a personal carry it with you Bible. Jesus didn't have a personal inscribed Jesus Bible. We have more Bibles and more access to God's word than ever before. And yet we probably read it less and know less about it than people ever before. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. What I'm trying to say is, don't you feel that gap? Because you're here because you want to know and you want to read the scriptures and you want, my guess is, to want it. But boy, it's not like my want for barbecue or you fill in the blank. It's not like my desire for whatever it is you think about when you are free to think about whatever. So there's a gap between who we are and if we're honest, we go, the Bible's kind of boring and some of it doesn't feel applicable at all to my life. And yet there's this desire in us to want to know it because, well, part of it is motivated by when we're supposed to, we should, we ought to. And let me suggest that whenever things get into the should and into the ought category, you're not going to ever be terribly good at it. Picture two young boys. This is an illustration that Ortberg shares in his book. There are two young boys, and they both are swimmers. And there's one young boy who took up swimming because he was watching Michael Phelps in the Olympics. And he thought, I want to win a gold medal for the U.S. I want to be that kid that stands on the podium. And so every day he gets up at 5.30 and he goes and he swims and he swims his little heart out. And then every night he plays the national anthem as he goes to sleep at night. And in his room, he's got pictures of Michael Phelps and he's got all of these things that remind him my goal is to win an Olympic medal, to be the best swimmer. And then there's another little boy and he takes up swimming. In fact, they're on the same swim team and they're at the same pool every morning at 530. But this little boy's there because mom and dad told him he should go. Who's going to win the gold medal? I mean, my guess is the one with passion and desire and want for it. The other guy's going to keep doing this until mom and dad say, all right, we're sick of taking you at 530. The other kid's going to say, mom, I got to be there. You see, whenever we get out of into a situation where we think we should or we ought to do something, it's just not going to happen. And we've got to make this. It's got to become a want in our lives. How does this happen? Well, Psalm 1 is a very interesting passage of Scripture. Uh, Before I get to this, though, did you know that the word, that that the Greeks didn't have a word for boring? Did you know that? I mean, they didn't have a television. They didn't have Internet. They didn't have a Wii. They didn't have computers. They didn't have movies. They didn't even have books. Lots of them couldn't read. And they didn't have a word for bored. And we look and go, man, it must have been boring to be those people back then. But they didn't even have a word for boring. Did you know the English word bored? If you look in the Webster's 1913 dictionary, you will not find the definition that most kids throw our way. 
I'm bored. Lack of something to do. That definition wasn't in the English Webster's Dictionary in 1913. Boredom is a rather new phenomenon. Being bored with the scriptures is a rather new phenomenon. And so today I hope to inspire you to move this from the should and ought category to the want to category. Well, Psalm chapter 1 says these words. Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Would you back up one slide? Because I really want to focus our time on Psalms 1 verse 2. Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. (laughs) Isn't that a weird phrase? Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. You know, I've been reading the law of the Lord. It's weird. Can't say I'm delighting in it. If any of you uh, find your enemy's ox and he's escaped from the pen... You are to go help your enemy get the ox back in the pen. Huh? Supposed to delight in that? I don't even, I don't know many people that have an ox. Any of you who on the Sabbath are making your way to church or subway or wherever it is you go on Sabbath and you find a donkey has fallen in a hole and it's your enemy's donkey. Help the donkey out of the hole and make sure it gets its way back. Huh? I'm supposed to delight in this? The weird thing with this word delight, when I was in junior high, actually earlier, it was, it was one of my first crushes in life. Her name was Lori. She was the cutest girl in third grade. And uh, she had that feathery hair, you know, back in the day, like Farrah Fawcett had or whatever. And, and Lori was the delight of my days in third grade, at least for a few moments between kickball and other things that boys did. But I thought Lori was cute and she was kind of fun and she was actually a good athlete. So we had that in common. And I would, I remember that my brain would just kind of rarely think about Lori. It would also think regularly about baseball (laughs) and Twinkies. It never really thought about the law of the Lord. My brain just naturally didn't go, Bible, let's think about that today. And yet the word that's used here, this word for delight, is this idea that you are just returning to it because it's your delight. It's your joy. It's something that you just think about. Guys, what's that for you? For some men, it's a motorcycle. A car, better boss, (laughs) better job. For some women, it it, it can be a certain type of home, some clothing, a shopping trip. Whatever that is that your brain keeps returning to, that's what you delight in. 
And the scriptures say that it's supposed to be, well, not supposed to be, because that's a bad word, right? We're not supposed to, because we'll never get there. The Bible just says you can get to the point where your delight is the word of the Lord. You can get to the point where to meditate on God's law is your delight. Now, if you've ever been through a really difficult time in your life, maybe a health crisis or maybe the death of a loved one or a financial hardship, you've experienced perhaps this happening in your life where somebody would share a scripture with you. And it was like what you were feeling was put into words. And your mind just kept returning to that. And you kept going back. For me, like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 can be one of those. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your, under, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. And there are times where the, the future is cloudy and I don't know my way ahead. And that verse, which I memorized a long time ago, will come back to me. And it keeps me from freaking out. It settles me down. It helps me go, ah, okay. Somebody bigger, smarter is working on this problem. Trust in the Lord. Or there's other times where when my grandfather passed away or my, any of my grandparents, and I would go to those scriptures where it says, death, where is your sting? Because I knew I will one day see my grandparents again because they knew Jesus as their Savior. And I was able to look at death mockingly. (laughs) You see, I was able to have a perspective changed from a verse that was shared with me. And if you've ever experienced that, you know what this is like to move from a should and an ought. I ought to like the word of Jesus. I ought to like the laws of God into a place where you're like, I don't know how I would have gotten through that time without it. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about Scripture is that we interact with it like uh, like looking at a dirty window sometimes. Now, that sounds really weird to say, but there's two ways to look at a window, aren't there? In fact, as it gets closer to spring and the angle of the sun is changing and the brightness of the sun changes and it shines through some windows on your home, you know what this is like because you've gotten used to looking through it. But now that the sun is hitting at a certain angle, you're like, oh my, look at the window. And you start noticing the window. See, there's two ways to look at a window. You can look at the window and study the window and notice the window or you can look through a window. And there's a couple ways to look at Scripture. You can look at Scripture like you look at a window. You can dissect it and pull it apart and and, and just kind of jump into it and, and look at the Scriptures. But really the place we're supposed to get at with the Scriptures is we're supposed to look through the Scriptures at all of life. It's supposed to be a window to all of life for us where we finally get to the point where we see life as God wants us to see it through the window of Scripture. And so I want to share a few quick ideas on how to do that. Because, like I said, sometimes looking at windows can be boring. One, approach the Bible with curiosity. 
You see, one of the things that happens oftentimes with growing up in church world is that curiosity gets killed. And what's really exalted sometimes in church world is conformity. Be a clone. Be like the rest of us. But when you come to the scriptures with your brain intact and your curiosity intact, you read a chapter like where Jesus appears to the disciples early in the morning. They've been fishing all day and Jesus is on, on, the, uh, on the shore after his resurrection. And you start to go, look at the sunrise. Do you hear the, the waves of the water as they come up to the beach? Smell the fish that Jesus is cooking. Look at the wounds that he still bears from his execution. I can't believe he's here, present. Changes your interaction with Scripture. Now you're looking through the window. Bring your curiosity to the text. It's the greatest, one of the greatest gifts God has given you or your imagination. Come to the Bible with integrity. You see, sometimes we come to the Bible and we're like, well, I'm supposed to believe this, so I'm going to force myself to believe these things, even though some of them are just kind of crazy. I mean, there are some crazy stories in Scripture. There are some examples of horrible parenting that was even God-ordained. For instance, how many years of counseling would you be in if you were Isaac? And your father took you on a mountaintop, built an altar, tied you to it. This is not in any of the focus on the family literature I've come across. What to do with a strong-willed child. (laughs) Raises the knife and is about to plunge it into you before God says, stop. (laughs) Every time I read that, I just get irritated. Because part of me is like, God, why couldn't you have figured that out without him getting to the point that it caused great damage to this poor child? And there's just some bizarre stories in Scripture. And we have to come to them with integrity. And we have to own up to our doubts. We have to own up to the fact that, you know, I don't know what to think of this, that it's bizarre to me and I don't know what to think about some of these stories and I want to read it with integrity and with curiosity and I want to interact with it like I would anything else that I read. Not just check my brain at the door. And I think you'll find that you'll find more insights than you've ever found before if you'll just be honest with the text. If you'll read it and allow it to bug you at times in ways that you haven't let it bug you because you're trying to be a good church person. It's not supposed to bug me. In fact, one of the first laws that God sets up is right after the Ten Commandments. It's in Exodus 21. And you would think that the, what, what would you think are some of the big first commandments that God would set up? Be nice. I mean, that's the big one at church world, right? Be nice to people. (laughs) Because mean people are not good Christian people. God never commands anybody to be nice. One of the first ones right after the Ten Commandments is if anyone sells themselves to you, if any of your Hebrew brothers or sisters sells themselves to you as a slave, 
What? That's one of the, that's, that's like commandment number 11. Are you kidding me? Who does that? Why isn't the commandment, thou shalt not own slaves? So that's a good one, God. You see, when you read the scriptures and you have little arguments with God, you find you learn a lot more. And you start seeing the ways that you aren't quite the you that God wants you to be. Another way to think about reading scripture. Read it like you're watching a movie. Have you ever watched a great film and then you go and you talk with other people who saw the film? Anyone? Does anybody watch movies here? Anyone? Okay. And I've done this and then you go and you talk with people and you have spirited conversation about what they were trying to say in the movie or, or what was the, what was the, what was going on with that part here? Why did the character do this? And we interact with it in a way that's totally different than how we interact with scripture. Because sometimes when we interact with scripture, we're more interested in what's the right answer than what's the great story. And if you'll read the great story, you see tons of the scriptures is ambivalent. It's gray a lot of times. I mean, there's stories in there that it's not. And the moral of the story is, I mean, there's stories where you're like, uh, so is polygamy wrong or not? Because God never says. And it's irritating. Because you would rather, he says, thou shalt, shalt not have more than one spouse. But that's not in the commandments anywhere. It's really weird. It's a strong suggestion in the New Testament for elders. But everywhere else, it's like, it's okay. It's really bizarre. So read it like you're watching a movie. Two more and then we're done. Try memorizing it. You deserve a break today. Excellent. Wonderful. (laughs) He who dies with the most toys wins. A, B, C, D, H, I, J, K. You guys have memorized a lot of stuff. You guys have memorized an awful lot of stuff. How about memorizing scripture? Taking that big, huge, great brain of yours that memorizes stuff without even trying and then try to memorize some scripture with it. Yes, discipline yourself to sit down and read some scripture. Write it down, especially those that speak to you. Probably not ones like do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk, but ones that really speak to you like trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Write that down on a card. Carry it with you in your pocket. Meditate on it. Memorize that scripture. Here's one that you can all memorize today. You can start off with this. It's when Jesus learned and went to Lazarus' tomb. It says, Jesus wept. You got some scripture memorized. Isn't that cool? So when you grieve, when a friend of yours passes away, when you know somebody who dies, grab hold of that. Jesus wept. Guys, Think Jesus was manly? He wept. 
changes how you think about grief. If we memorize scripture, it'll change our hearts. And finally, do something. Read this article this past week. I know I'm over time. Tough darts, you're stuck with me. I, I, I read this article this past week and I have been meditating on this article because it talks about how men hate church. And you know what? It's true. I mean, where else in our culture do you sit around and sing love songs to a guy? Right? I mean, that's just weird. Where else in our culture do you sit around and sing? And guys just go, man, I don't know, this is weird. And where else in our culture? It's just a strange place. Church can be really weird, and it can be really weird for men. And in fact, most churches, the vast majority of churches, have way more women in attendance than men. I mean, the percentage is huge. The percentage is hugely different. It's like 75% women and 25% guys. When we first got to this church, I'm pretty sure our percentages were skewed that way, like 75% women and 25% guys. Why? Because you don't get to shoot stuff. Because you got to wear clothes that are uncomfortable. Because you got to be nice to people. It's just not guy kind of territory. Do you know what? Do you know what branch of Christianity attracts guys? About fifty percent men and fifty percent women, all across the board. Eastern Orthodox Christianity. And I read this article about the men who go to Eastern Orthodox Church. And do you know what they do in worship at the Eastern Orthodox Church? They stand the entire time. They do not buy pews or chairs at their churches. Think of the arguments that that would save. And they stand the entire time. Come on, wuss. We're worshiping Jesus here. Get up. That's a manly church. And their songs are about Jesus, King of Heaven, who comes down and makes war on Satan. They even have a song about Mary, the captain, the queen of war. Really? What about silent night? You see, one Eastern Orthodox man, he went to a Protestant church at Christmas time and he about threw up, he said. Because it was so sentimental. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong or whatever. I'm just saying that men want to do something. So men, read the Bible and do it. You want a challenge? I mean, you want something to sink your life into that you will never completely do perfectly for the rest of your life? You want a great challenge? Try loving your enemies. Try that. See how manly you are. Jesus got it, right? Dude's being crucified. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for a friend. That's a manly type love, a sacrificial love. Men understand that. We don't get valentines and hearts and butterflies. But we understand 
when a buddy throws himself on a grenade to save his pals. Do you know where that ethic comes from? Jesus. Read the scriptures and do it. Curiosity, integrity, memorize, do it. And maybe the scriptures will move out of the boring category and into the want to category. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words that you have shared with us. Thank you that they are so readily available to us that we can carry our own Bible. (laughs) We can have multiple copies in different translations that we can sit and read it. I pray that you would lighten us a desire to do so. Lord, move it out of the should category. Move it out of the ought to category. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a want to. Lord, help us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you take up the word and read it. Amen.